All right, Colossians, where we're camping out, Colossians chapter 1. You turn there as you're turning there. I'll tell you a quick story. When I was in college, uh, I was in a couple of my a couple of friends' uh, dorm room, and uh, we were binge watching some show, probably Lost uh, or Battlestar Galactica. Uh, don't judge it until you try it. All right. Uh, and so we're binging some show, and it's probably 12, 1 o'clock in the morning, and uh, we're there. And uh, one of my buddies decides he wants to go make some Easy Mac, and so he goes and puts his Easy Mac in the microwave. And it's, that's cooking up, and we're watching our show, and, and when it's kind of getting a little steamy, I'm like, hey, man, I think your, your mac and cheese is probably done. And he goes, and as he opens up the microwave door, just pillar, clouds of smoke just come roaring out. And we're like, what is going on? And we're all grabbing towels and shirts and trying to fan it, you know. And there at 1 o'clock in the morning, the fire alarm goes off. And the entire boys dorm at school. And so... We're like, okay, and so we go outside, you know, try not to make eye contact with anybody, and there we are outside in the field, and there's all these guys, some of them are just in their boxers. I'm like, dude, why don't you put a shirt on? It's December. And so they're out there shivering, and they're like, what do you think's happened? I don't know. I don't know, man, it's crazy. <laughs> and so we're out there, and the fire department comes, and they've, they, oh, we don't know what it was, you know, they figured it out or whatever, and, and they let us back in, and we go back inside, and we're like, Alex, man, what was the deal? What happened? Why did your mac and cheese catch on fire? And he goes and he opens the thing and he looks in there and he goes, oh, I forgot to put the water in. (laughs) Well, that'll do it. That'll do it. You see, first things first matter. Getting the right things first matter. Putting the water in first matters. Last week we said that the gospel was the first thing. But this week, what we will see is that without the right Jesus, we have no gospel. Without the right Jesus, you might call it a gospel. It might look like a gospel, but in fact, it's no gospel at all. If you remove the real, biblical, offensive Jesus, then we remove the very substance of the gospel that can save us. You know, Jesus is the most talked about, most debated most divided over, most controversial person in the history of the world. Wars have been fought over him. Families have divided over him. Lives have been changed over him, and people have been killed and tortured over him. So who is he? Who is this man that has caused so much controversy in our world? There are those who would say that he's a good teacher, that he's like Gandhi, There were some that would come and say that he's a prophet. He's just a man come to point us to God. There were some people who would come knock on your door annoyingly all the time that would say he's just the highest of the angels. There are some people who would say, yeah, man, Jesus is great. Love Jesus, great guy. They don't follow him. There are some people who ignore him. There are some people who think wrong things like Jesus helps those who help themselves or Jesus is all loving. He doesn't judge people. Jesus doesn't send good people to hell. And there are those of us who have this idea that Jesus' values are the same as white middle-class Republicans. But who do you say that he is? Who do your parents say that he is? Who do your children say that this Jesus is? Who do your neighbors say that he is? Who he is matters. 
There are many people in this world who say they believe in and like Jesus, but their Jesus looks very different from yours and mine. And so answering the question of who is this Jesus, this controversial figure, literally changes everything about our lives. Understanding who Jesus is is a first thing because it literally determines the trajectory of everything else in your life. What we have to do this morning is try to remove all of our thoughts and ideas of who we want Jesus to be, of who we think he should be, and look to the Bible and ask the question, who does God say that he is? You'll remember that movie, Talladega Nights, with Ricky Bobby. And in that movie, there's constant jokes. If you know, I like to picture my Jesus with big eagle's wings. You know, I like to picture my Jesus with a tuxedo shirt. You know, because he likes to party, but he's serious too. You know, or I like to pray to baby Jesus. You know, six pounds, eight ounces, ain't even said a word yet. And we, that's funny, you know, it makes for good comedy, but that's also a reality because there are people every day who say, you know what, I can't believe in a God who does blank. My God is like this. You know, I can't believe in a Jesus who is for this or for that. I believe in a Jesus who is for this or for that. And they make a Jesus in their own image, in their own likeness. But we must do our best to answer the question, who does the Bible say that he is? I remember the first time that I met somebody who had a different view of Jesus than me. I was a freshman in high school, and I met this guy, super nice guy. But he was dressed in all black, with red accents, with a black trench coat, long black hair, and we got to talking one day, super nice guy, and we got to talking about Jesus and what he thought about Jesus. And come to find out, he worshiped Satan. And his view of Jesus was that Jesus was the enemy. And I'm like, what in the world is happening? And so we begin to talk about it. We begin to discuss who Jesus is. And, we begin, and I begin to think, okay, he's got all these objections to the Bible. And so I'm thinking, okay, well, I'll prove the Bible right, and then we'll be good. So I'm trying to do that. And then he's talking about evolution. Well, I'll prove evolution wrong, and then we'll be good. And I thought that if I could dismantle some of his arguments and thoughts about the Bible or science, then, then, then he would, he would kind of write the ship for him. Never did. But what I failed to do in all of my arguing with him, was to show him a picture of the real Jesus. What I failed to do was show him a picture of a, a, a majestic, good, sweet, and beautiful Jesus. You see, most of us in this room are not going to encounter Satan worshipers, but you meet every single day. Every one of us in this room meet people every single day of our lives, people who miss the real Jesus. People who think they know him, think they know who he is. But if you press on them just a little bit, what you might discover is that the only thing you have in common or the only thing that they get right is his name. So turn with me to Colossians 1, verse 15. And let's see who God says the real Jesus is. The words of our God, written by Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, say this. He is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. 
And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. This is the word of the Lord. The first thing I want us to see, verse 15, says that he is in the image of the invisible God. What does that mean? Does that mean to tell us that God was about 5'10", 185 pounds, brown hair, brown eyes, really good beard, and hair like a European hair model flowing in the wind? No, it's not meant to tell us what he looks like. Then what does it mean that Jesus is the image of the invisible God? Do you want to know what God is like? It's saying, do you want to know what God is like? If so, look to Jesus. Do you want to know who he is? Do you want to know his nature, his character, his personality? Then look to Jesus. Jesus is the exact imprint of his nature, the scripture says. So much so that Jesus would say that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You want to know what God is like? You look to Jesus and find out. But, but do you know why it is that Jesus images God so perfectly? Why it is that Jesus is the exact imprint of his nature? It's really simple, because he's God. Jesus is not part God. He's not like God. He is God. And so in the Old Testament, when you read Genesis and you see God walking with Adam and Eve in the garden, that Jesus. When you see Abraham and the two angels and God show up and talk to him, that is Jesus. When Moses speaking to God in the burning bush, that is the voice of Jesus. When Moses on the mountain sees God, it's Jesus. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. You've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus is God, always existing. He is the image of the invisible God. He says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He's not less God. He perfectly images him. There are times that we, when we talk about God, we'll say things like, you know God and Jesus. And we don't mean anything by that. We're just, we're just trying to talk. We say, oh, yeah, you know God and Jesus. But when we do that in our speak, we almost kind of elevate the Father as God and Jesus as some sort of demigod, as some sort of half God, half man. But Jesus is not Hercules. He's fully God and fully man. And I'm here to tell you this morning that if you know Jesus, you know God himself. If you know Jesus, you know God himself. Verse 15 continues, and he says that Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. But what does it mean that Jesus is the firstborn? It doesn't mean that at some point Jesus was born, that he didn't exist before, right, because he's always existed. Verse 17 says that he is before all things. So what is Paul telling us? Remember what it means to be a firstborn in this time. When you're the firstborn son, you're everything. You are the highest ranked. You have, uh, the, the family name passes through you, right? You have superior privilege, superior authority, and the majority of the inheritance comes to you. And so what Paul is saying is that out of everything in creation, the most beautiful sights the wealthiest people, the most powerful people, kings and rulers out of everything, Jesus is above them all. He is first. 
He is above all of them. Jesus is the highest rank, the highest privilege, the highest authority out of everything in all of creation. He is first and he is supreme. Next in verse 16, he says, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, thrones or dominions or authorities or rulers, all things were created through him. So in Genesis 1-1, you go back to the very first page of your Bible and it says that God spoke and there was light. God said that there was light and there was light. When God spoke the world into existence, who is that? It's Jesus. Jesus is the one who spoke and created the world. Jesus is the one who speaks all things into existence. That little baby in a manger is the one who spoke you into existence. He created everything from the highest mountains to the smallest of atoms. He has no beginning. He's always existed. Try to imagine that. Try to even get your mind around the fact that he has no beginning. And at the right time, he spoke and created the world. Notice verse 17 also, he says, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He's the sustainer. It's amazing how much, how much work, how much dependability, how much, how much babies are dependent upon you. Right, I've, got a, I've got a one-year-old, and we're getting ready to have another one. And it's amazing how much you have to feed them. You've got to put them to sleep. You've got to change their diaper. You've got to provide the diaper that they wear. You have to literally carry them anywhere that they need to go. They're completely dependent upon you. And in the same way, we are completely dependent upon Jesus. Not only does he provide all those things, but he starts the beating of your heart and continues its beating. He allows the breath in your lungs to function properly. He allows your eyes to see light and interpret things. He allows your ears to hear. He keeps the... He keeps gravity functioning to keep your feet on the ground. He keeps the sun burning to give us light and heat. And there are trillions of things that our minds don't understand that even in this moment, Jesus by his power is holding them together, holding them up, sustaining the world. And they all obey his voice. They obey his every command. So much so when he told the water to hold them up, it did. When he spoke galaxies into existence, they just appeared. He sustains the world. He's holding it up. He's got it all together. So much so that if any moment Jesus stopped withholding the world, the world would just simply cease to exist. But notice next in verse 16. Go back a little bit. All things were created through him, right? We said he's the creator. But there's two little words here that are incredibly important for us. All things were created through him and for him. You see, Jesus is the point of all of this. John Piper says this, all that came into being exists for Christ. That is, it exists to display the greatness of Christ. Nothing, no nothing in the universe exists for its own sake. Everything from the bottom of the ocean to the top of the mountains, from the smallest particle to the biggest star, from the most boring school subject to the most fascinating science, from the ugliest cockroach to the most beautiful human, from the greatest saint to the most wicked genocidal dictator, everything that exists, exists to make the greatness of Christ more fully known, including you and the person you have the hardest time liking. Why did Jesus make the world? Why did Jesus make you and me? 
He didn't do it because he was lonely. He didn't do it because he needed a buddy. He didn't do it because he was bored. He didn't do it because he was in need of something. He made the world so that you and I could live for and behold his glory. He made the world so that his name and his fame and his glory would cover the entire universe so that every knee would bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. He made the world for his glory. And as you read through the Bible, you begin to see this phrase over and over again where you'll see God act, he'll do something, and, the, and then he'll explain why he did it. And he says, it was for my name's sake. Why did I act? Why did I do this? It was before my name's sake, for my glory. Even in Psalm 23, probably the most popular psalm, it says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness. Why does he do that? Why does he lead me in paths of righteousness? For his name's sake. He's the point. All of God's actions are for his own glory. All things were created through him and for him. And did you know that if God at any point, if Jesus at any point were to elevate something as a greater priority than himself, that it would be idolatry? He can't do it. He can't elevate anything higher than himself. Jesus is the highest, most supreme, most beautiful, most holy, highest ranked being in the universe, and nothing can come before him. He is the point. He is the end. All things flow from him and to him. You know, one of the things uh, that's big in my family is playing guitar. Every, almost every male in my guitar plays, a person, every male in my family plays guitar. And my grandpa has all these old guitars that uh, now my dad has and one day will come to me. I got a 1950-something uh, Martin acoustic, 1954 Gibson Les Paul electric, all these nice, really cool old guitars. And if I were to take one of those really nice old guitars and, and use it to, to prop a door open, or if I were to take one of those nice guitars in its case and use it to hold a couch up because the leg was missing, or if I were to take one of those old guitars and just hang it on a wall, it doesn't fulfill its purpose. They were made and meant to be played. They were made and meant to make beautiful music. See, we have a purpose. The world around you has a purpose. The creation right now is fulfilling that purpose. The supremacy and beauty of Jesus is on display all around us. And so when you look out and look at a beautiful sunrise, when you look out and on an autumn day and see the colors of the leaves changing, when you look out across the woods and the wind blowing and see flowers blowing in the wind, when you go to the ocean and see the ocean, the creation is singing the praise of God. The creation is saying, look at the supremacy of Jesus. Look at what he has made. See, the creation is doing its job. It's living out its purpose of bringing glory to Jesus. And the question I have for you this morning is, are you? Are you living out your purpose? Are you living for the glory of Jesus? And everything that you do, from your work to your family and your parenting, to your friends, to your hobbies, that everything you do is it for the glory and fame of Jesus. First Corinthians would tell us that whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. We can be good Baptists and eat and still bring glory to God, amen? 
Your life purpose is to reflect the glory of God like the moon reflects the light of the sun. Are you living for your purpose? Notice verse 18. It says, and he is the head of the body, the church. You see, the church are those, we are those who know Jesus, who know who he is, that he is God, mighty God, that he is the creator, the sustainer, that he is the point of everything. As a church, we know he's our savior and we follow him because we don't follow a preacher. I will fail you. We don't follow a Sunday school teacher. They will fail you. We don't follow a theologian. We don't follow a philosophy. We don't follow anything other than Jesus. And when the world looks at us, when the world looks at us, who do they see us following? Do they see us following the Jesus that is in the image of God, that made us in the image of God? Do they see us following Jesus as the Bible describes him? Or do they see us following a Jesus made in our image? Do they see us following a politically correct Jesus? A Jesus who's easy to follow? Or do they see us following a Jesus who created the world and then came to die for it? A Jesus who we believe literally was raised from the dead. You see, Christianity is strange, if we're honest. Listen, Christianity is strange. We believe in a guy 2,000 years ago who came, who was fully God, fully man, who was killed, who was raised from the dead, and who will one day come back on a white horse in the clouds. That's a little weird. That's okay, because it's true. That's okay because it's true. And it is this Jesus who has the power to save. Does the world see us following him? Or does the world see us following a Jesus who's easy to follow? Doesn't have high standards, who who isn't difficult to follow. Who does the world see us following? You see, the church exists, guys, we exist as an outpost or an embassy. That we are supposed to be light in the midst of darkness. We stand here proclaiming and announcing that this king has come and his kingdom is on its way. And you can either join in, be a part of this kingdom, or get swept away when it comes. Our job is to stand here and herald and preach and share of the king and the kingdom that has come and is coming. And that it's all about him. Our purpose is to live for him, for his glory and his fame. Verse 18 says, he is the beginning the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Remember verse 15 15 when we said he was in the image of God? Do you remember at the beginning of the Bible when God created us? And he created us and he created us in his what? His image. And we, like Jesus, were perfectly in him. But now that image of God in us is broken. The image of God, of God in us is marred and stained by sin because of our rebellion against God. We are, the image of God in us is broken. And the whole world is broken. The whole world is broken. The world which used to perfectly reflect the glory of God, us who used to perfectly reflect the glory of God, is now marred and broken. But when the Bible says that Jesus is the firstborn from the dead, it is reminding us of something reminding us that Jesus is coming to make all things new. That the image of God that in us that is broken, he is fixing. That he's making us into the image of Jesus. That the world around you, guys, when you, watching the news this week, when you see injustice and brokenness in our world, 
when you see death and sickness and decay, when you see all the problems in our world, Jesus has come and from his resurrection from the dead has been step one of fixing it. It's been step one of fixing it. Guys, did you know that the end for us is not that God is going to take us up into heaven? That's a temporary reality. The end of all things for us is that one day heaven's going to come down and Jesus is going to fix this whole world. He's going to raise us from the dead just like Christ was and we're going to live with him forever in that kind of world. A world that has no more sickness, no more decay, no more brokenness, no more wheelchairs. Our Jesus, the real Jesus, is coming to do that kind of work. He is coming to say the spell backward and undo the curse that is in this world and set all things right. I read a story this week about a South American company who had uh, ordered this printer from an American company. And, and they got it in this big old printer and they put this whole big thing together. And uh, uh, after they got it together, it didn't work. And they brought all their PhD guys in, all their engineers in to get this giant printing press printer to work. And they're working on it, working on it, and they can't get it to work. And so they call the company and say, hey, we can't get the thing to work. You're going to need to send somebody down here to get it to work. So they do, and they put a guy on a plane. He comes down, and when he gets off the plane, it's this guy who looks barely 16 years old. They're like, are you serious? This is who you send us? And so they call, they're taking him over to the printer, but they call him up and say, guys, are you serious? You sent us this guy? We've had PhDs and engineers working on this thing. They can't fix it. You think this little kid's going to fix it? They said, well, he invented it, so he probably should be able to. Let me tell you, the Jesus who created this world can fix it. Jesus didn't create this world to let it go to hell in a handbasket. He didn't create this world to let it, let sin take over and destruction take over and sin and dis- disease and decay and death take over. He created it and he's going to redeem it. He's going to fix it. He's going to make all things new. When you look out at this world and you see the mess that it is, remember that you serve a Jesus who's going to fix it. He's not just fixing the earth though, he's fixing you. The image of God that you were created in that is now broken. He's going to make it right. He's going to fix you so much so that you will perfectly reflect the glory of God wherever you go. Wherever you go. Believing in the real Jesus matters. It matters because only a Jesus who created the world can fix it. It matters because only a Jesus who sustains and holds up the world by his power can truly answer your prayers and answer your biggest problems. Only a Jesus who is the point of all of this, who is the goal and the reason for all of this, is a Jesus who is actually worth worshiping, and a Jesus who is actually worth us giving our lives to. Only the real Jesus can deliver you from the curse of this world, can deliver you from the fires of hell. Only the real Jesus can truly rescue you. So when we, when we have people today who say that, that Jesus is just a good teacher or he's a good guy but he doesn't deserve my life or he's just an angel or a prophet or people who think that he's a great guy but don't really follow him, here's what the Bible claims. The Bible claims that this Jesus is God himself and that our sin deserves his wrath in hell. 
and no one can be good enough to ever make it to heaven on their own, but through this Jesus, salvation can be found through his death and through his resurrection. You see, these are not the claims of a good teacher. These are not the claims of a prophet. These are the claims of God. And as C.S. Lewis family says, there's only three options that you have. This morning, you stand there with the real Jesus, and you have three options. He's either a liar and shouldn't be trusted. He's a lunatic and doesn't deserve our time, or he's Lord. And the only question that we've gotta answer is did Jesus raise from the dead? Is he truly the firstborn from the dead that in everything he might be preeminent? Did he raise from the dead to never die again? If the answer is yes, then he's Lord of all and he deserves our allegiance, our worship, our time, and all of our lives and all that we have to give. But if he didn't, if he just lives on in our memory, if he didn't actually bodily raise from the dead, but he just lives on in history, then we should stop coming to church. All of this is a big waste of time. But if he did raise from the dead, and indeed he did, he deserves our life. He's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. We owe him our allegiance. So the question is, who do you say Jesus is? Who do your neighbors and friends and family and children say that he is? We exist to spread the glory and fame of the real Jesus. And so may our lives and our words show the world who Jesus really is. May our church, may Fellowship Baptist Church shine so bright that we make Jesus unignorable in this city. That's our goal. That's our mission. That we settle for nothing less than the real crucified and risen Jesus. And we preach him, we share him, and everything that we do lifts him up so that the world says, can't ignore him for long. They've gotta be faced with him. They've gotta face him and decide, is he a liar, lunatic, or lunatic? Let's make him unignorable in our city. There are some of you in this room, you guys don't hear me, you don't know the real Jesus. Maybe you grew up in church. Maybe your grandparents believe in Jesus. Maybe you believe in God, that there's a God who's real. But hear me, you know deep in your heart, you don't know the real one. You've made a Jesus up in your own image, and you've never bowed your knees to the Jesus who was raised from the dead as Lord. Today you can. Today he will take you will make you his child. All of your warts, all of your stains, all of your problems, all of your past. He can save it a jacked up sinner like me. He can save you. And he can make your life new. Come and have that. There's also some of you in this room and, and you know that you, your life's purpose is to live for his glory but you haven't done it. Your life's all about you. You are number one. Here's you, here's the world and it revolves around you you know that you need to live your life for his glory. Today you can decide it's time to make a change. It's time to change and stop living for me and living for him. Wherever you're at this morning, know this. Even though you are so sinful that Christ had to come and die for your sin, you are so loved that he was glad to. He loves you more than you could ever imagine. The real Jesus Loves you more than you could ever dare hope. This morning, come. Deacons and I are gonna be up here. We'd love to pray with you. Anything going on in your life that you just want some prayer for? If you'd like to come kneel at these steps, we'd love for you to do that.
you want to join our church and be a part of making Jesus unignorable in our city, come and do that. If you want to come talk about what it means to follow him, be saved and find new life, come do that. You need to stand there and sing a little bit louder. Stand and sing together. to be with you this morning, send you out with a benediction. May the God of peace himself sanctify you. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be found blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. Go in peace. There's eight high.